You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at portions of John 13 and John 15, and we're going to be talking about the fact that a disciple shows the sacrificial love of Christ to others. But before we take a look at that, I want to give you a little bit of background on the message that you're about to hear today. And maybe you're familiar with this already, or maybe you haven't heard about this, but I'll let you know something unique and interesting that went into the original preaching of this particular message. Uh, Basically, on Sunday evenings, our church is in the process of planting a sister church. Our sister church is named Bluestone Church, and uh, on Sunday evenings I take turns preaching there with our youth pastor. So one week he'll preach, and another week I'll preach. And a couple weeks ago it was my turn to preach, and so I was preaching from John 13 and John 15, and in just a few moments I'm going to read the scriptures that I was preaching from that night. But several weeks ago as I was preaching, the weather was beautiful. It was basically the first truly spring-like day that we had had, and the evening was very nice. Because the weather was so beautiful, we decided to leave all the windows of the church building open. Uh, We left the front doors open during the worship service. We wanted to let the breeze into the building. The front of the building of our sister church is very close to the edge of the road. And while I was speaking that evening about the sacrificial love of Christ and how Jesus calls us to love one another with that same kind of sacrificial love, I noticed a man pull his car up to the entrance of the church, and he sat there during the course of the message while I was speaking. So that evening I spoke for over 35 minutes, and he was listening the whole time. And at first I was assuming that he was just there to pick somebody up from one of the nearby homes. And then I started wondering if he was planning to attend the service, but wasn't really sure where to park. But soon it became clear that he wanted to hear the message from his car. And again, he was parked very, very close to the entrance of the uh, sanctuary, and he he parked in the fire lane uh, that's right there outside the sanctuary, and he listened as the message was being preached. And it seemed a little curious to me, but didn't immediately strike me as alarming. And that evening, as I was wrapping up the message, the man interrupted the service, and he began yelling into the building. And I wasn't really sure what he was saying at first, so I stopped speaking, and I walked toward him so I could engage in conversation with him, and it quickly became clear to me that he took great offense to what I was preaching about. And in the midst of yelling at me, he stated this. He said, you press on my nerves. You press on Muslims' nerves. You're going straight to hell on the Day of Judgment. Now, apparently this man was Muslim, and he wanted to make sure that I knew that he had a problem with the Christian message that I was preaching that evening. And so, needless to say, this experience made us all very uncomfortable when the man left. And you'll hear this in the recording. There was some nervous laughter in the room as we tried to process what had just happened. But as we talked about it a little bit further, the experience made us all rather uneasy. So we notified the police. We gave the description of the man to the police. We also described his vehicle. Uh, We also took some time to pray for this man, that the Lord would open his eyes and would open his heart to see the truth. 
And at first, I I couldn't help but wonder what motivated this man to behave this way. But I'll tell you this. I have zero hatred in my heart for him or for any Muslims. Uh, While we clearly disagree on our theological understanding, I can honestly say that I regularly pray for the Muslim people because just as I needed Christ to open my eyes to see the truth of the gospel, so do they. We all do. Now, with the tension that's existed in our country in recent decades, I certainly don't believe it was wise for this man to scream into our building, uh, to point out that he was a Muslim while he was screaming, and then tell us that we were all going to hell on the Day of Judgment. Uh, In fact, I think it was rather creepy of him to sit in his car at our entrance while staring into our building for over a half hour, Uh, but uh, that's what he chose to do. And there's more to the story. And I'm going to wait till after you have a chance to hear this recording to share it with you, but I'll mention this before uh, I read the scriptures that uh, are referenced in this recording and before uh, I actually play the recording. Um, The recording you're about to hear is actually cell phone audio. Uh, It turns out that my daughter was recording the message while I was speaking that evening, and I didn't know she was recording it because we don't normally record our Sunday night worship services at Bluestone Church, but she happened to be recording it. She said she wanted a chance to be able to listen to it again sometime during the course of the week. So she caught most of the message that I was speaking that evening, and she caught this entire interaction with this man screaming into our building. So you're going to hear all of that toward the end of this message. But listen to the message. Take a listen to uh, the just the, the things that took place at the very end of the message as the man was screaming. And then I want to tell you some of the things that have happened since. But I'll wait till you have the chance to listen to the message first. Now, as I, I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're looking at uh, portions from John chapter 13 and John chapter 15. So let me read both of those for us before we get into the recording of the message. This is what it says in John 13, verses 34 to 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then in John 15, verses 12 to 17, Jesus said this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today. And as we take a moment now to listen to the recording that was recorded just several weeks ago, as this portion of your word was proclaimed, and as its proclamation was also interrupted by a man who took great offense to your gospel, 
Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts and speak to our minds. And likewise, Lord, we pray that you'd open the eyes and the heart of the man that yelled into our building that night, that he would come to know you as well, and that all those who think and worship along the lines that that man worships would understand your gospel and would come to see the truth of who you are, Lord, that they would receive the gift of salvation through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is our prayer, and we commit ourselves to you today, and we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's the recording. To love one another as he has loved us, so that the world would know that we're his disciples. So what Jesus is concerned with is that we display the kind of love toward one another that would serve as a testimony to this world that points others to Jesus Christ. So that they would observe what's going on in your life and they would have the opportunity to trust in Him or even the desire to trust in Him because they could see what He's fostering in you. That you would serve as a visible testimony of what He's doing in your life. And that's what He's challenging His disciples to do. And I'll tell you when that becomes most visible. That kind of love becomes most visible when you're experiencing things like stress or opposition. And I think that when people observe you or me or anyone that professes to be a believer in Jesus Christ going through a difficult season, you know, enduring stress or opposition, and yet still being intentional to show Christ-like love toward one another, even though we know we're not perfect, and even though we know that at times we can get under each other's skin, or even though we know that sometimes we can even embarrass one another, I think that that does a great job of pointing others to the kind of love that Christ has actively been showing us. So you have Jesus telling his disciples, and by virtue of that, he's telling us in this passage, to love one another as he has loved us. What does that mean? What does that look like? How can we replicate that sort of thing? Well, think about what Jesus has done to actively show us love. Because he's not just saying, I feel warm affection for you. Right? He's saying, I've come here to do something. You know, I'm not just, I'm not just observing you from, the di- from a distance and having a warm feeling for you. I'm moving into action to do something on your behalf. So how does Christ show us love? Well, uh, Christ forsook his comfort to suffer for us. And he comes to this earth from heaven, forsaking for that season his comfort, so that he can suffer for us. That's the kind of love that he's talking about here. He speaks the truth in love. You have people in your life that you awkwardly had to tell them something they did not want to hear? Does anyone enjoy those conversations? I certainly don't. But aren't they necessary at times when you're showing love to somebody else? If you love somebody else, would you allow them to persist in something that can harm them, or would you warn them? I think you would warn them. I don't think it's love if you don't warn them, right? So Christ speaks the truth to us, but he does so in love. You know, he doesn't do so arrogantly. He doesn't do so pompously. He speaks the truth in love. What else does he do? Well, Scripture gives us many examples of the fact that Christ builds us up. You know, he actively is making investments in my life and in your life day by day. He's building us up in him. He also takes great effort to remind us all throughout the scriptures of his desire to have a relationship with us. You know, one of the things I said a few moments ago is that our God doesn't operate at a distance and just observe us from a distance. But he's taking great pains to have a relationship with us, to make himself known to us. 
He gives us his time. He meets our needs. He keeps his promises. The truth is we can make a very long list of the ways specifically that Christ has actively shown us his love, even at great personal cost to himself. And I can't help but wonder when I look at what he said here, when I think about the ways that he's shown us love, and when he tells us here to love one another just as he has loved us, you know, if we model that kind of love toward one another, what kind of impact do you think that will have on each other's lives? I mean, I think it's significant, isn't it? You know, if there's a whole group of people showing you the love of Christ like he has shown you his love, doesn't that make a difference in your day-to-day life? I believe it does. You know, if we model that for our spouses, we model that for our children, or for our parents, or for our friends, what kind of impact do you think that will have on other people if we actively model that kind of love for them? Meaning that we seek what's best for them, even at great personal cost to ourselves. Do you think that would have an impact on other people? I'm 100% certain that it would. And I think that Christ wants us, he's saying, that he's describing this as a new commandment. He's saying, listen, I don't really think people are going to want to hear your sermons, and I don't really think people are going to want to read the Bible if they don't see you display my heart first. I don't think people are going to take that extra effort to worship Christ before they actually experience his love through his people. And I think that those that call themselves followers of Christ should be active in seeking the well-being of those that the Lord places in their lives. I think that that's something that the Lord wants us as his people to be known for. We call ourselves his followers. We should love as he has loved. And so Jesus is talking to this group of men, you know, his early disciples who are known for being somewhat awkward in some respects and actually known for a lot of infighting and known for being the type of people that, that, you know, at least early in their life were trying to jockey for the best position. And Jesus was saying to them, listen, life isn't about all of this stuff. Saying, let me tell you what I want you to do. If you're calling yourself my disciples, which they were, he's saying you're to love one another as I have loved you. That's what love looks like. Actively seeking someone else's, you know, what's best for somebody else. And then he takes this thought a little further in that second passage that we looked at in John 15. And he tells us that a great picture, you know, probably, you know, we would say the most visible or dramatic picture of love is when someone would be willing to lay down their life for those that they love. Look at how he phrases it in John 15, verse 12, and the verses right after that. He says it this way. He says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Let me pause there for just a second. So, throughout the course of the week, and this is the case almost every week of of my life, but I have the opportunity to meet with different people regularly for various forms of pastoral counseling. And uh, one of the things that I I actually have to do a lot uh, relates to marriage counseling. And so when I'm meeting with a couple that's about to get married, there's some questions that I almost always ask them at different seasons of the counseling. And uh, one of my favorite uh, questions to ask is this. 
And uh, I maybe I've mentioned it here before. I actually think I did, but I'll, I'll mention it here too. Uh, but I almost always ask, how much does it cost me to get something from the dollar menu at McDonald's? It sounds like a weird question. I like to ask because it sounds weird, right? You know. But I think we can all relate to buying something off the dollar menu at McDonald's. You know, that's the part of the menu I usually look at first on the rare occasion when I go into McDonald's. Um, but how much does it cost me to get something off the dollar menu? People are usually like a dollar, and then someone, if they're clever, they're like, oh wait, no, tax, a dollar six. It's a dollar six. And I'm like, no, for me to get something off the menu at McDonald's typically costs me six dollars. And they're like, what do you mean cost six dollars? I was like, well, I have a wife and I have four kids. So if I'm at McDonald's, odds are they're probably with me. So for me to buy one item from the dollar menu at McDonald's, it's going to cost me six dollars. Because most of my money is spent not on me. And that's fine, but it's the reality, right? There was a season of my life where something from the dollar menu would cost me a dollar. But now at this season, it costs me typically six dollars. And the idea is the majority, and I've noticed this, and I'm sure you've noticed this as well as life goes on, this becomes the case, but the majority at this season of my life right now, the majority of my time, the majority of my energy, particularly my emotional energy, right? The majority of my money, it's not being spent on me, it's being spent on my family, and I'm fine with that. But that's one of the biggest differences I experienced in life when I got married and started having kids. And I think it's been a healthy change. I think it's something that uh, I, you know, I can look at and I can say, no, that, that does something in my mind, that does something in my life to stretch me in a healthy way where I start to think about the fact that much of what I'm doing and, and much of what I'm earning, the time that I'm investing, it's not really time I'm investing in me or money I'm spending on me. It's being spent on other people, and that's a good thing. I think many marriages, I think many friendships, I think many other just general relationships suffer in this world because many people try too hard to adopt a me-centered uh, perspective. And I think if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, he doesn't want you to adopt a me-first or a me-centered perspective. I think he invites us and he empowers us to, to adopt a completely different Mindset, And that's what he's getting at here as he's talking to these disciples. He invites you to love others like he loves others. And he even says it here this way. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. Right? Greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, there are a few different ways to apply what Jesus is saying here. And I think the most obvious application is the concept of sacrificing your physical life for the welfare of someone else. I don't know if you heard, um, just the other day, you probably saw this on the news, uh, there was a guy in Antioch, Tennessee. The reason I remember this Antioch, Tennessee is we drove through there a few years ago. We were right in Antioch, it's right by uh, Nashville. Um, but he was in, I think it was a Waffle House, and some guy came in and uh, started shooting the place up. And unfortunately, four people died, but everybody in there could have died if the guy didn't do something. And the guy noticed he had a, like a brief moment to react, and so he jumped on the gunman, and he wrestled the gun out of his arms, and he threw it behind the counter, and the gunman left. They still haven't caught the gun, which is really odd. It's been at least a couple days. But I saw a news story either last night or today, and it showed a big gash on the guy's elbow, 
uh, because I guess he cut his elbow pretty bad trying to wrestle the gun from the guy. But, I mean, can you imagine being in that context? The gun's going off. People are dying all around you. And most people were probably cowering and hiding, and he decides to spring. And he decides to do something, realizing in that moment he very well may die doing it. In that moment, he was not primarily concerned with saving his own life. He was primarily concerned with, you know, stopping this man from taking the lives of others, and he risked his life to do it. And I, when I look at a passage like this, when I look at these words that Christ is saying here, to me, that's one of the most immediate applications of it. The, you know, the idea of risking your life for the benefit of somebody else. And uh, I think that... Um, I think that that's a great example of that. In fact, I even heard, and this is sad to think about, but I, I, I read this story not too long ago as well, of a mother who drowned rescuing her child. Uh, her child was struggling, and she jumped into the water and was able to hold the child up over the water long enough that either someone was able to scoop that kid up or something, but in doing that, she took on water, and she ended up dying. But her primary, primary concern was to hold that little child up above the water long enough for somebody to be able to help. And so she did that on behalf of her kid, again, thinking more of the life of someone she loved than thinking of her own life. And it's interesting how that impulse really gets triggered when the Lord blesses you with children and you realize, wow, like, I would die for this person. It's like, huh. I would, like from day one, I'd actually die for this person. And uh, I don't know that I fully ever appreciated that love until, you know, the Lord said, pour blessings into our life. I thought, no, I, I, I get that now. I get that impulse. And so that's one of the most obvious applications. But I also think that there are other circumstances where this truth applies, this idea of laying down your life for your friends, in ways that don't require physical death. Meaning, you know, if, if, if I tell my wife that I love her, but I never honor her preferences. Uh, I, I you know, never let her pick the restaurant. I never let her select a TV show. I never, uh, you know, like, if life is all about me, am I really showing love to my wife? Not really. That means I've still kind of held on to that me-centered perspective. Um, you know, if I tell my kids I love them, but have no time for them, or don't bother to have conversation with them, or really don't involve them in my day-to-day -day life, and I don't get involved in their day-to-day -day life. Am I really showing them love? Not really. Um, if I tell my parents I love them, my parents are at the stage where uh, half the year we provide care for my mother because her health isn't so good, and, um, and now I'm at the stage um, where I call my dad daily uh, to check in on him because my stepmother is going through dementia, and I've realized he has nobody in that house that can help him. If something happens to him, my stepmother certainly can't help him because she doesn't even know what's going on now. Uh, she can't even communicate. So I've gotten to the point where I call my dad every day just to check in on him, and I've told him this is what I'm doing. I call to see, like, hey, if you're not answering your phone, that means we have to show up at your house, Dad. You understand that? He lives three and a half hours away, so it's, it's kind of complicated if that happens. But the point being, you know, if I say to my parents, hey, I love you, but I don't honor them, do I really love them? No, I don't. It just means I'm, I'm, I'm adopting a me-centered perspective, and Christ is calling us his friends in this passage. Did you notice that where he said that? He said, I call you my friends. He's like, I'm not even calling you servants. 
I'm calling you my friends. And he says, basically, effectively, if we enjoy that kind of relationship with him, we're being challenged to lay down our lives for our friends, or for our family, or for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a mark of being one of his devoted followers. I can't say I'm going to follow Jesus and then not actually follow him. Right? This is what he did for me. And he's saying, I'm not asking you to do something I didn't do for you. He's saying, I did that for you. Go and do that for those that I place in your life. Show them that level of love. It's a sacrificial love. And it's good. And there's one other thing that he reminds us of in this passage that I want to point out to us, and that's this. That we can ask him for what we need to accomplish that mission. That he offers us the help that we need to do this. That we don't have to do this in our own strength. And in fact, we can't do this in our own strength. Look at what he says in verse 16 and verse 17 of John 15. He says, look, he's kind of laying this out for his disciples. He says, you did not choose me. Isn't that funny, by the way, how often we think we chose Jesus? You know, it's like, Jesus, I follow you because I chose you. He's like, that's nice. That's, that's cute that you think that there weren't things going on behind the scenes to invite you to actually notice me, right? You know, it's like, no, you didn't choose me. I chose you. But that's okay. It's cute. I'll let you think you chose me for now if you want. But if you want to have a deeper level of conversation, you say, here, look, you didn't choose me. I chose you. He says, and I, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. That's what he says here. It's my command. Love each other. Right? He's saying it multiple ways. So, uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, my kids got a kick out of this. My family got a kick out of this. We, have, we drive a Honda Odyssey. And uh, the year that we own has had, it, apparently it has, there should be a recall for this, but I don't think was. Um, it's a good van overall, but the rollers on the sliding doors have a habit of breaking off. And, um, and I noticed, one of ours, well, my wife noticed at first, that the one door wasn't opening anymore. You couldn't open it. Uh, the roller wasn't working in there. And I thought, oh, I'm going to need to get that fixed. But of course, since there's another door on the other side, it's like, oh, someday I'll get it fixed. You know, I'm like, eventually I'll get it fixed, but we can all still get in. Well, guess what happened soon after the one roller broke? The one on the other side broke, and nobody could get in. And we're like, uh, I mean, no one could get into those doors anyway. There was a way to get in. And I felt a little embarrassed by this, so much so that it prompted me to fix those doors. And my son's helping with this. We made it a kind of a project. But for a little while, until I, we got it fixed, we popped the trunk. And the whole family, you know, the front doors, you can get in. You're sitting up front. But you're sitting in the back. Everybody had to go in through the hatch in the back. So we popped the back of it, and everybody had to climb in. And I asked them at one point while that was going on, I said, does this embarrass you like when you have to climb in the trunk of the van to get in the van or in front of people? And for whatever reason, um, they said, they're like, no, it doesn't. We actually think it's pretty hilarious that we have to climb in the trunk until you get this fixed. And I was like, well, I need to get it fixed. But it wasn't something I could just fix with things I had on hand. I had to actually research what's the broken part. And I found what the broken part was, and I ordered it. And I remember when it came in the mail, I was like, all right, now I actually have what I need to fix this. And so we took some time and we fixed the doors and it worked out well. And the nice thing was we fixed it for 80 bucks, but if I brought it to the dealer, it was going to cost 1200 bucks. So I was like, I like spending 80 more than I like spending 1200 So, you know, and it wasn't even a long fix, but then we had what we needed, right? Came in the mail and we fixed it. And I bring that up 
Because when you look at what Christ is saying here, he's saying, listen, I've asked you to do something that naturally speaking you don't have the capacity to do well. So I'm going to give you what you need to do it. I'm not asking you to do this without the right tools. And I'm not asking you to already have the tools. He's saying, you're going to get what you need. All you have to do is ask for it, right? You know, in Christ now, we have the tools that we need. In Christ, we have the power. And he's saying here, the way he phrases it, he says, um, he says, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Meaning, the Father, you know, God the Father will give you whatever you need to do what he's called us to do. Well, because uh, there are many times in your life and in my life where we could easily say, listen, loving other people with sacrificial love is not an easy task. It's very easy to talk about. It's not actually easy to do. And there are times that if you try and practice that, you're going to say, Lord, I can't do this. This person is completely unlovable. And he's saying, ask for whatever you need. You know what the ironic thing is? Someone showed up in your mind when I just said that, right? And I said, this person admit you, you thought of somebody. Did you think of somebody? I think, okay, I said, you affirmative, many affirmative heads, right? Because there's a few people in my life that I'm like, all right, you're so unlovable. And Christ is saying, ask for what you need. You don't have to do it in your own strength. He's saying, you don't even have the capacity to do it in your own strength. You need me to actually love with the kind of love that I show you is what Christ is telling us. He will supply what we need for that mission to be accomplished. And so when you look at these verses here, you have Jesus inviting us to make requests of God the Father. Right? And when we pray, what do we typically ask the Lord for? I think many of our requests, if we were to categorize them, if we started writing them down, I think many of our requests tend to come back to asking God to relieve us or maybe even relieve someone we love from suffering, or we tend to ask God to increase our level of earthly comforts. Right? Those are the things that I find easiest to pray about. You know, Lord, relieve my suffering or relieve the suffering of someone I love, and that's not wrong to pray for that. It just tends to be a dominant request. It tends to be a repeated type of request. Or, I think a lot of times when I'm praying, I find myself saying things like, Lord, increase my comfort. I'd like more comfort here, whether it be physical comfort or emotional comfort. You know, these are things that I tend to ask the Lord a lot for, and you probably do too. And yet Jesus invites us to ask the Lord for what we need in his name. And he says, whatever we need is going to be granted if we pray for it. So does that mean if I keep asking God for creature comforts and less suffering, that he's going to automatically say yes. Is that what the scripture's getting at? Well, the truth is, when Jesus is, keep in mind the context of what Jesus is saying here, he's not inviting us to come before the throne of God with a selfish mindset. In fact, he's setting it up so that we would understand the opposite. He's asking us to pray in the same spirit what he's been speaking about, meaning the mindset of Christ-centered love. The idea of laying down your life for other people. And he's told us here that that's our mission as his disciples. So now he's reminding us that we can come before the throne of God. We'd ask God the Father for what we need to accomplish this mission in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's happy to supply it. So as we wrap this up tonight, let me just ask this. 
What are we going to need to be able to make this happen? What do we actually need? You know, what do we truly need for us to be able to love one another with the kind of sacrificial love that Christ is calling us to, to, to utilize? Well, we're going to need faith. It's not faith in ourselves, it's faith in the Lord, right? I think we're going to need mercy. It's not mercy that finds its source in me, but it's mercy that finds its source in Him. So if I'm going to practice this, I can't rely on my own mercy, I've got to rely on His. You can't rely on your own mercy, you've got to rely on His. I think we're going to need wisdom. Because in moments when we're dealing with people of all kinds, we need wisdom. Lord, what's the right way to talk to this person with this personality? What's the right way to show love in this moment to some person? You know, like I can think of this, you know, in our own family. When our kids were growing up, I learned a lot about just human personalities. And I realized, this is how to speak to this child. This is how to speak to this child. This child would be really, really hurt if I said it this way. This one won't even hear me if I don't say it this way. So we ask the Lord, give us wisdom. Right? Give us wisdom. Because we can't rely on ourselves to provide this. And what he reveals to us here is that the provisions that we need for the mission that he's called us to follow will be supplied by him. Right? He assures us that that's exactly what he wants to supply. And so since his answer is already yes to these things, he assures us that we can confidently make that kind of request before the Lord. It's not a selfish request to come before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to love someone with sacrificial love like you have loved me. That is not a selfish request. That's the kind of request that the Lord's delighted to say, yes. I don't think the Lord's delighted by every request I've ever made uh, before his throne to, Lord, just make my life easier. You know, just make it easier. I, I don't want to grow anymore. I don't want to be stretched anymore. I don't, I don't want to learn new things. I don't want to become more mature. I just want everything to be easy. Lord, can you do that? And I think he looks at me, you know, and, and he says, well, I recognize that you want that. And guess what? Someday you'll enjoy heaven here with me. But right now I'm going to stretch you. And right now I'm going to teach you things that maybe you don't want to know. And right now I'm going to help you in ways that maybe you don't even want help. And right now I'm going to have, have you learn difficult things from your experience so that you understand my heart. So that you understand my nature a little bit more. And so to wrap this up, what's Christ telling us here? He's telling us that a fully devoted follower of Christ shows love to others. That's what he's shown up. Say it again. Do you think? This is pretty, yes, absolutely. God's not me. God's not a God of me. Why do you think so?
a new experience. <laughs> what happened? He said, Can I guess the wisdom to understand that? He said, uh, He said that I, what I just preached gets on his nerves as a Muslim. That's what he just told me. Yeah, he said, As a Muslim, that gets on my nerves. But he sat there the whole time I was preaching, right here, Did so he really? could hear. And I'm watching in the mo- the whole time I'm speaking tonight. He was there the whole time. Whole time. Yeah. In that, and uh, I just watched. And I mean, the whole time I kept eye contact with him as I was speaking tonight. I think so. Here, let me say this to wrap this up. I didn't know I was going to have that experience, but uh, I, I also I, I also know that, that it's not fruitful to argue with somebody when they're riled up like that. But you know what I've learned about the gospel? It tends to offend before it heals. Meaning, when you look at a portion of scripture like this, where, I mean, there is nothing, so as I'm looking at this and Christ is talking about sacrificial love, that's not a very offensive portion of scripture. It gets way more offensive than this. Like, if you look at some of the details. But here, for Christ to talk about sacrificial love and for a man to sit out there and stare uh, and get angry and yell into a building and feel provoked by that, that tells me that the gospel that he just heard proclaimed is convicting a part of his heart. So that's what happened that evening, just several weeks ago at our sister church that we're planting in West Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. And as you can imagine, we were startled by what we heard as that man yelled into the building. And at first we were trying to make sense of it all. But soon after the recording ended, we called the police and informed them that this had happened. And they weren't really sure what to make of it either, but they did look into it. And the following weekend, the man did something more aggressive at another local church when he interrupted their worship service as well. And in the process, that obviously put all the local law enforcement on high alarm. And uh, they searched for this man. They found this man. Uh, I actually have had a conversation now with Homeland Security, believe it or not. Never thought that that would be part of my daily routine, but we had to do some work with Homeland Security as they were investigating this. And the man presently is in federal custody and will very likely be deported because he was here in the United States illegally and behaving in this manner. So I thought I'd share this with you today. I don't know what your perception of day-to-day ministry is like. I know that some of you have very much felt like you've experienced some of these things or maybe similar things, but the whole process was a reminder to me that there are spiritual realities going on all around us and things that we need to be highly aware of. But yet at the same time, we can trust in Christ in the midst of some of the most awkward or difficult or threatening circumstances. And we very much trust in Christ, even though this was quite a difficult experience for our church and one of the other local churches to endure, as many people obviously felt threatened by this man's actions. So if you would, we'd be grateful for your prayers for us and for other churches. Pray also for this man, that he would come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. 
And I'd also encourage you to share this information and possibly this episode with your local church leaders, with your pastor, with your elders, with your local church leaders, so that they have the opportunity to see and hear some of what transpired in this context, and just make them aware of some of the things that seem to be happening with greater frequency. Not like they wouldn't be aware of it already, but I think sometimes it's helpful to be able to hear a recording, think about it, and kind of live through the experience with uh, others that have had to endure it, because obviously there are steps that churches have to take for security. We have steps that we've already taken in regard to security, and they were in place that night as well. But at the same time, a lot of churches really haven't thought about those things, and um, I think it's time that we do think about these things. So share this information with your church leaders. By all means, feel free to give my contact information to your pastor, and if he wants to uh, set up a conversation with me, I'd be happy to talk with him as well. But uh, that's it for us today. I know that today's episode was a lot different from what we normally uh, talk about in in the sense that there are some uh, less than jovial things that took place in this recording, but I felt led to share it with you. I hope that it was valuable, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to you, even just as we think about what it looks like to show the sacrificial love of Christ in the midst of difficult circumstances. But again, thanks again for listening. We're grateful to be able to bring this content to you each week, and we look forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care. The love of God is immeasurable, it's unchanging, it's indescribable. Because God loves you so much, you can sleep through the night in peace. With Abide Bible Sleep Meditation, you can fall asleep fast with relaxing sleep stories based on Scripture. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Bible Sleep Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.